Welcome to the Gentleman Ultra podcast. Uh, today, I'm excited to be joined by Roy Nemer from Mundo Albaleste. Roy, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Always a, always a pleasure to discuss, well, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it around the world. Always, always a pleasure, especially oh, when it comes to Argentina. No worries. My pleasure. My pleasure. So tell me about your website and your story. How did you develop a, a love and passion for football and, and how you, you began working with Mundo Albaleste? Yeah. Have I got, have I got uh, the pronunciation well, right? That's right, isn't it? I butchered Mundo, it. Mundo Albiceleste. Albiceleste. I'll be Celeste. I'll, try um, I'll my, put you it again shortly. No worries. No worries. No worries. <laughs> uh, my my passion uh, for the sport started off at a relatively young age. I was four years old, and I'm giving my my age away now. But uh, this was the 1994 World Cup, and I saw a certain Gabriel Batistuta, and my first memory of Batistuta was him uh, scoring one of his goals against Greece at the World Cup, and I was just an awe of just the the power of it just the speed I was just surprised and I have an older brother who grew up watching Diego Maradona and my father grew up watching Pele so I kind of had to pick between do I go with Argentina do I go with Brazil and ultimately I think just like any other sibling type of thing you tend to follow your your older brother or your older sister so uh, for me it was Argentina and that's really where my my love and, and passion for Argentina began and then obviously as I got older understood the sport a lot more and in regards to Mundo Albiceleste it started in about 2007 uh, the website which was a blog at the time uh, was started by Sebastian Garcia from Argentina and he opened it during the 2006 World Cup writing in English so just to to give a sort of an online presence of the national team in English writing about them and then I discovered the website in very early 2007 I attended an Argentina under 20 game at the World Cup uh, in Canada. And uh, he had asked me, had approached me and said, hey, do you want to just write up a little post, a little report, your experience? I told him, sure. Uh, and I ended up writing a report and I was commenting on every post. I was on the website 24-7, just typical fan type of thing. And then uh, later that year, uh, later that year, early 2008, I started writing full time and and then it just kind of kind of took off from there. And I realized how big the national team is worldwide. I I truly think, and I'm not over-exaggerating, I truly think there are more Argentina national team fans in India and Bangladesh than there are people in Argentina. Uh, that's how big it is. And through social media, through the website, through everything, I was able to discover that and, and get in contact with, uh, with some lovely people. Mm. Yeah. So, so why do you think that is that everyone has such a connection? I know there's the, you know, the 78 side and the 74 team and there's, you know, you've got Maradona and, and, and what went down with, you know, Italian 90, USA 94, but they always seem to be involved in the thick of it when it comes to the World Cups. But even like for myself growing up in Australia, um, Italy was always my favourite team as a child, but my second team was Argentina. I don't know why, I just just had that I just liked that team I, I liked that they they could play football but at the same time they could you know annoy and niggle teammates I loved you know I loved the jersey the the, the home jersey I loved their their players there was something about them an aura and a confidence about them why do you think it is that they have such a connection with so many people around the world I think it's a little bit of what you mentioned I think it's the style of play and talking to a bunch of different people as well those that grew up in maybe the 70s or the 80s. Yes, it was that 78 team, but 
more specifically, it's Maradona. Uh, similar to this generation, Lionel Messi had Maradona back then. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and specifically, let's say people from India or Bangladesh, they said, well, we grew up in the 80s and we grew up at the time of Maradona and we're in love with him. And now our kids and our friends and everyone growing up is are in love or, with with Messi. <laughs> so it is that iconic figure. And then, you know, you hear the stories, people of people saying, oh, I, I was six years old, seven or eight, and I was watching Italia 90 and I saw Maradona crying in the final and I ended up crying. And it's that it's that connection. It's it's I can't really explain it. It's, it's the way you feel, right? It's it's how it is. And then obviously, I mean, they're pretty good on the pitch as well, right? It's not just uh, it's not just the names. It's they know how to play as well. Yeah. Yeah. Even like with my, <clears throat> excuse me, my son now, like I show him clips of Maradona just to make sure that he knows there's someone outside of Messi and Ronaldo and that whole debate, you know, how it, how it exists. Yeah. So how do you think the um, Italian league is perceived in Argentina from your point of view? I know you're out of uh, Montreal, the home of the mighty Expos, but how do you think the Serie A and the Italian game is perceived in Argentina? Uh, highly perceived, highly perceived. It's always been a big league because of, of course, Maradona. Uh, you had Maradona and then in the 90s as well. I mean, Gabriel Batistuta. And then at one point you had Walter Samuel that was there. And then obviously you had the inter teams with Zanetti and everything. So a lot of South American players were there, not just Argentine players, but a lot of South American players, uh, Colombian, Brazilian, uh, Uruguayan. So it, it is highly perceived. And, and thankfully, there's still that presence in the league with Lotaro Martinez, with Paulo Dybala. A couple of years ago, you had uh, Javier Pastore or Gonzalo Higuain and Carlos Tevez. And obviously the list goes on and on. So there's always been that presence. And not only is it a presence, but it's a, to a certain degree, a dominant presence. I mean, Lotaro Martinez won Serie A, scores the goals. Dybala is a big name, doing very well with Roma right now. So it is highly, highly perceived. Um, and it's, it's, I would say talking to the people that I know, talking to my friends in Argentina, along with the Premier League, obviously, it's one of the most watched leagues. Uh, it's mm -hmm. those, it's the Premier League, La Liga in Spain, and uh, the Argentine League that, you know, the, uh, sorry, the Italian League that are uh, really watched in uh, in Argentina. Mm. Yeah, well, they, they often say that, you know, Argentina is like a, a second cousin to Italy. There's so many, so many Italians migrated there. So it's, you know, <laughs> it, it feels like a natural place to watch Italian football. Yeah, but, and and transitioning across to the um like the national team now, what do you think the relationship between the national team and the and the fans are at the moment in Argentina? Are they an optimistic bunch? Are they pessimistic? Are they looking forward to the World Cup? Are they are they are they um, worried about you know still their centre back and goalkeeper issues? Is it or is it everything if, all of the above? <laughs> no, it's if we were having this conversation a year and a half ago my answer would be totally different than the one I'm about to give you. There is a lot of optimism within the national team, within the fans. There's a, a connection between the fans and the players. The players continuously talk about it, uh, which hasn't been the case in, in recent years, uh, two, three, four, five, six years ago, uh, up until about 2015, 2016. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. Uh, and essentially what happened was you had those finals that were lost, the World Cup and the Copa America finals. And the media isn't always, let's say, the, the, the nicest to the players. And then at one point, there was a press conference where Messi, Messi of all people, actually came out, held the press conference and essentially said, we're not going to talk to you guys anymore, period. 
So they were on hiatus. They did, they did not talk to the media for well over a year. No press conferences, no, no interviews, literally nothing to the Argentine media. And they went to Brazil in 2019 for the Copa America. And Argentina, in my opinion, anyways, got cheated in that semifinal. Uh, no bias, just my, my personal opinion, uh, <laughs> that, that, they got, that they got cheated. And afterwards, Messi spoke out and he spoke out against the referee, against VAR, against Conmebol. And that changed a lot of people's perception about Messi in Argentina. They saw him a lot more vocal. They saw a lot more Maradona in him. And, and that's something that, I, that's a whole other story altogether, something I don't like. People always try and compare the two, but people saw a lot of Maradona in him and, and saw him as a leader, even though in my opinion, he always was one. So that changed a lot. And then in you know last year, the Copa America defeating Brazil in Brazil, that changed everything. And they've been unbeaten for over 30 matches, won the Copa America, won the Finalissima. So people are optimistic, but cautiously optimistic uh, at the same time, especially when it comes to a World Cup. You don't want to be labeled as the favorites. Argentina have had have entered many World Cups where they've had that, that favoritism tag on them, for example, in 2002, and they crashed out in the group stages. So people are optimistic, but very, very cautious about it. And, and you mentioned there the... Uh... The match against Italy, which which could have ended, you know, six nil, seven nil, the way it's... the way Italy performed. But yeah, it's it's very much it has. You're right, it has transitioned the last twelve to eighteen months. And and you talked about like the leadership there that Messi had displayed, and more so off the field, he, he tends to be a little bit more vocal. It looks like he's, you know, as opposed to leading with his actions, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of everything at the moment, and he's he's transformed into a player. And and like he had a quiet season last year, but even this year he started. He started very well, obviously with PSG, but um, yeah, yeah. Do, do do you think that uh, that that those World Cups have, have gone past? Like this is seems to be like a, a new Argentinian wave, I guess, of players. You think they're trying to to flush out those past memories? You know, obviously the bad memories, and and they see this as a, a new a starting point. Uh, they they are, and I think to a certain to a certain degree they have. Um, I mean, you touched. A little bit on on Messi, you know his his season with PSG uh, last year and and sort of this year, and the the Messi that we see with PSG is not the same Messi that we see with the national team. And I think we we saw that at the Finalissima, for example, against Italy, where despite not scoring, he was the man of the match. He was the player of the match, the best player. And we see a completely different Messi. We see a much more relaxed Messi with the national team, especially especially since. Uh, winning the Copa America, it's the players. They've said this several times. I'm not saying it's right, but the players play for Messi, and a lot of them have said, you know, we would we would be more happy for Messi to win the World Cup than we would than we would be for ourselves. So, I think that says a lot. Uh, I think the previous generation, the only players really remaining from from the previous generation are Messi, Di Maria, and Otamendi. Uh, unfortunately, Aguero had to to retire, and those three are playing the best football they've ever played for the national team. So the the ghosts of past national teams, I think, are, are gone. You know, I think they, they've just completely disappeared. And now that we're seeing a much more relaxed Messi and we're seeing a different generation, we're seeing a different Argentina, much more positive, much more composed, much more relaxed Argentina. And now that they got the monkey off their backs uh, by winning, you know, the two tournaments or the two trophies, um, it's... 
it's going to be dangerous for for other national teams. I don't want to jinx it too much, but uh, we're seeing a, a much more relaxed Argentina, and overall, in my opinion, uh, a better Argentina. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Good, good for good for the World Cup, and be good for Argentina. That's for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned a few players there that have obviously the Argentinians that have played in Italy. So running through a few of them, yeah. Who who are some of your personal favorites of the years gone by? Gabriel Batistuta has to be at the very, very top of the list. And I don't think I'm the only one who would say that. <laughs> I think most people would. Uh, I love Gabriel Batistuta. I absolutely adored Zanetti. A big, big Zanetti fan. I, I think he's underrated. I think a lot of people just say, oh, well, he played for Inter for, for decades. and But he wasn't that good. Mm. I disagree. I think he, obviously, he did play for Inter for that long. But I think he was that good. But doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. Um, Cambiasso is another one, in my opinion, very underrated, very intelligent player. But uh, Batistuta, Zanetti, those are the two that growing up, along with Crespo, along with Crespo, those are the two or the three players that really stole my heart, so to speak, then, to get a little bit romantic. They, watching them growing up and then you go out you know, onto the pitch or you play on the grass or in school or, or whatever it is and you try and, and repeat what they did. And I failed miserably, but I had fun trying. I had fun trying. Was... Me too. That's okay. There's no shame. Yeah. Yeah. I was Cambiasso when I played out in the field. I was pretending that I was him. So, but yeah, even Harvey, even Zanetti playing it right back. Yeah, no, Cambiasso, like, to me, it's the same. I think he, his game was totally underrated. And that, and that season with Inter, like in 2010, he was just on a, he was on a different level, you know, a different level. Um, yeah. But then you had, you know, Walter Samuel was there, um, who was fantastic. Yeah, Zanetti, who was there, he was always there. Um, Cambiasso was fantastic, especially as a, the season progressed and the champion, like Champions League got to those knockout stages. He was immense. And Milito just was everywhere at every time and just perfectly timed every final, every goal. He, he just, he was unstoppable that year. He was incredible. The most underrated striker of his generation, Diego Melito, in, in my opinion. You mentioned the goals in the finals. Mm. He, that, that was a dominant inter team, don't get me wrong. Even Argentinians aside, I mean, Lucio, Eto, uh, incredible team. Uh, Julio Cesar, for example, another one. But Diego Melito, for me, for the goals that he scored, the big matches, you're talking about a treble winning team, never been done before by by intern hopefully it happens hopefully it happens again but hasn't hasn't been repeated since the goals that he scored just underrated and i remember uh, a fact or a statistic i, I read uh, he was not even nominated for the top 25 or top 30 ballon d'or that year so the world player of the year wasn't even nominated so that i think in and of itself just kind of tells you how underrated he he actually was mm, yeah he scored the winner i think it was on the final match day or when they wrapped up the league he scored the Coppa Italia. Italia final, and then of course the the Champions League final. Yeah, it was amazing. And then even players like players gone past, um, like uh, Veron, one Sebastian Veron, yeah, who spent so much time in Italy. Um, Diego Simeone, you know, yeah, Simeone, um, Sansini was there. Um, yeah, uh, it's it seems to just be like now you've got Lautaro, like you said, Dybala's there, and there's players even at smaller sides, provincial sides. It seems to be like a never-ending. Just uh, it's a it's a convoy of Argentinians coming over, which is great, which is which is really good. Yeah, um, Diego Simeone. He's one that people love him. They hate him. Um, he spent such a large 
time, like a large point of time playing in Italy. And of course he had a spell as manager there in Catania. What do you think playing in Italy and all that, that time in Serie A has the influence has had on his career for good, for better and worse? Oh, definitely for better. I think his time with Lazio and, and let's not forget different generations, right? And at the time when Simeone was playing in Italy, in my opinion, probably in the opinion of many, it was the best league in the world. You had the, the top, top talent, the best players, much, and, and the sport in general was more physical. It was a different game. Mm-hmm. And Simeone has always had that, that toughness to him, that, you know, that famous quote of his of, of playing with a knife in between your teeth. And that's how he played. And at the time in Italy, if you wanted to survive, not because it wasn't a technical league, it was a technical league, but you had to be physical as well. You couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't be, I mean, I know we're not on camera right now, but you can't be like me. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty skinny guy, but you can't be a skinny guy playing in Italy at the time. You had to, you had to have some muscle on you and you had to be physical or you had to be able to take the tackles in. And, you know, Simeone, he has his documentary on, on Amazon where he said, it's no secret that he and Veron did not get along. Off the pitch, they did not speak a word. He said, but on the pitch were brothers. And he's brought that brotherhood to Atletico Madrid. And it wasn't the fact that they're brothers because Veron is Argentinian. Not at all. It's how they were. So despite the fact that they did not like each other, he said it. He said, I knew that Veron had my back and he knew I had his. And if you watch Atletico Madrid, the way they play, the way they're set up, their style, everyone protects one another. If one person gets pushed from your team, from Atletico Madrid, forget about it. Someone's getting a red card. Someone's getting a broken nose. Some fight is breaking out. And I love to see it. I'm old school in that sense. Uh, And I love to see it. Veron had a little bit of nasty niggle in his game too. Oh, absolutely. Veron was... if, If you ever got tackled from Veron... If you go back and watch some of his tackles, a couple of them were, they would hurt. Yeah. Let's put it that way. He He's got, all elbows yeah, and elbows and knees. And, yeah. 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 <laughs> he, uh, but you know what? He was an extremely talented midfielder as well. A, yeah. a tremendous midfielder in his time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there seems to be, I don't know why, but there's certain national teams with certain jersey numbers that, just do something and I'm not sure what it is they trigger some sort of memory for good or bad but for one of mine one of my favorites is the Argentinian number five um so for those that don't know can you explain uh I guess what that position is and what where where the player normally plays what they the tend of uh characteristics that the player types tends to have and who are some of your favorite number fives yeah, uh, so for those unaware, so the number five in Argentina, it's more the, the defensive midfielder type of thing, more defensive midfielder. So literally, case in point, think of Esteban Cambiaso. So Cambiaso with Argentina wore that number five shirt. Uh, at the 2006 World Cup, even, he wore the number five shirt. So it's more that defensive midfielder. Yes, it can bring the ball forward or distribute a little bit, but more, more defensive. And for me, no one epitomized that more than Fernando Redondo. I wish we would have gotten more of him in Italy. Obviously, a Real Madrid legend, uh, but injuries got the better of him. But Redondo, for me, growing up, was tremendous. Uh, Diego Simeone, another one. And then we spoke about Cambiasso. So those guys, for me, and I love it because I love the quote-unquote the destroyers. I love that defensive midfield because you need it. You, I know the it's game like is my different favorite now. Position. And it's my favorite yeah, it's... number. And even now, <laughs> even, like in my mind's eye, when I'm ever playing football, even against my, my yeah. kids, 
I'm marked in number five. I'm Argentinian number five. <laughs> you'll you'll go in for a slight tackle. I will. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing no mercy in the backyard whatsoever. That doesn't. Of course not. Yeah. Even um, to, to, um, I wrote Gago down as well. Fernando Gago, yeah, another yeah, one yeah. that he's another one that I absolutely loved watching, and I feel like he he never quite. And I'm not saying he didn't do well in his career, but he just yeah. he could have been so much better, I guess. So there was injuries, he curtailed his career and sort of very inconsistent up and down career, much like Redondo as well. But it's a shame he yeah. didn't get best of it. But yeah, that that position is something something special about it, I guess. It's very mystical. It's very there, there's absolutely something about it. You mentioned Gago. Uh, Gago's another one that unfortunately injuries just got to him uh he was playing at madrid at the time and he wasn't a big name so he wasn't he would not always start the big matches for madrid sometimes he would sometimes he wouldn't just because unfortunately because he's not a big name you know he wouldn't sell the shirts but extremely talented and to this day one of the players that understands Lionel messi the most or the best in my opinion on the pitch was fernando gago if you watch argentina from 2011 until 2014 the connection that Messi had with Gago, very difficult to find elsewhere. Uh, yes, he had a connection with Dani Alves at Barcelona, but what he had with Gago was very, very different. And that, I'm not going to get too off topic, but had Gago been healthy for the World Cup, the outcome probably would have been a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Gago riddled with injuries. Uh, Redondo is another one. And I, you know, it's, it's still alive. That, that position is still alive, but because the sport has changed, we probably don't see it as much these days. So what do you think it was that they had that connection? So obviously didn't grow, you know, come up through the ranks playing with each other. It wasn't like they were, you know, best mates. But yeah, why do you think it was? It just, they just clicked the right players, the right time. They they clicked and, and Gago's very good on the ball. He's an excellent distributor, a very good tackler, and he understands and he reads the game very well. Uh, very, I, I rate him highly in terms of, you know, the football IQ. Uh, he he senses where the danger is. He knows when to play that pass. And, you know, there's that infamous quote by Dybala where he says, it's difficult to play with Messi. And I, I remember that quote getting, uh, in my opinion, anyways, it was it was misunderstood by by a lot of people. It wasn't because Messi is difficult to play with. It's just the fact that, you know, for them, they play similar similar roles, similar, similar positions. But going back to Gago really quickly, uh, very intelligent player and with Messi it's you got to read him it's the one twos and it's when he makes that runs because more often than not Messi is going to be walking on the pitch and then a split second later you're going to see him make that run into the penalty area and Gago was was able to find him one of the goals that I, I very much remember was actually a World Cup qualifier versus Chile in Santiago qualifying for the 2014 World Cup and it was very early on in the match and Messi was just dominating and Gago played that ball into Messi and you're watching and you're like, where, how did he even see Messi making that run? How? And it's, it's the vision that he had. It's the IQ, the intelligence that he had. And also doesn't hurt that he technically on the ball, he was very good as well. <laughs> so he was able to, to pull it off. And we're getting a little bit of that now with Argentina for, uh, with uh, Leandro Paredes, someone just recently signed with the uh, Juventus previously of, of Roma and uh, played, played in Italy before. And we see a bit of that with, uh, with Paredes uh, alongside Messi. Not, not at the same level yet as, as Gago, but similar qualities. A good tackler, great vision, technically astute on the ball. So it's still alive, but it's less destroyer, more 
let's say technical these days, that number five position. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you mentioned that a, a position is a, a mythical, I guess, or magical. And, and it's the same with the shirt, the Argentinian yeah. home shirt, you know. Um, what is it about it? Where did it come from? Why the stripes? And essentially, we know the colours obviously represent the flag. But yeah, what is it about that shirt that 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 does it and sends gets gets people fired up? I guess and 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 is is that trigger? Um, and and do you think there'll ever be any sort of like I know that the new purple away kit tended to cause a little bit of controversy for some, but yeah, why is that shirt so magical? I guess it's the players that came before. It's it's the previous generation. It's the Mario Kempes. It's the 1978 World Cup winning team. It's even the 1966 team, for example. If you go back, to had some good players. Unlucky, uh, not, not to go further. But that jersey, the players that came before, you're talking about 15 Copa America titles. You're talking about making the first ever World Cup final in 1930. You're talking about two Olympic gold medals, uh, dominating the under-20 World Cup scene for several years and if you just want to talk about the names, Mario Kempes, Daniel Passarella, those are two. Uh, Valdano, obviously Maradona is another one. Uh, the 80s, you just had a bunch and a bunch. And what, uh, the, the, the how could I put this, but what made it more, I'm not going to say special, but what added to it was that 1986 team. I'm not going to say specifically Maradona, but that match versus England where because off the pitch you had you know you have the falcons war uh in, in spanish las malvinas the the, the malvinas the, the falcons you had that war and you know the players tried to downplay it saying it well you know no we're playing a football match and this and that but it you could tell there was more about that match than just football and it was kind of that you know you, you push your chest out you extend and you say you know we beat you guys we're better than you and that's where that pride I think kind of added a lot more to it and then obviously Maradona being the character that he was and the player that he was and it's in my opinion that's what really took it to a whole other level that's what took it to a whole other level was that 1986 match that tournament and specifically Maradona yeah and you mentioned taking it to a whole new level I remember in 1993 when Argentina came to play Australia in Sydney and Maradona came out of retirement. Um, that was the first time as a, like I was, what, 15, 14, 15 at the time. That was the first time where I'd ever seen anything on that grander scale. And, and it was massive. Like, you know, we sold out Sydney Football Stadium. Um, Argentina came out. It became like a, a huge circus. Maradona was here. You know, you can imagine what he was doing here. And But, yeah, it was just a completely different level. And, and and that was like, oh, my God, this is like what football should be. You know, this is what Australia should be aspiring to, to be playing these types of games, you know, more regularly. Yeah. No. And I mean, you're talking about Maradona. It's not the, it's not every day, whether you're on, you know, in Australia or maybe some other country. It's not every day you're going to get a Maradona playing a match at your stadium and especially, a, you know, a World Cup qualifier. And. It's, I feel like it's a double-edged sword, or for a while it was a double-edged sword, because whenever a player, I'll even use Messi as an example, if Messi had a match where he didn't score, right, still had a decent match and not score, P- 
people still call them a pecho frio and pecho frio means cold chested in other words like you no know, the shirt weighs too heavy on you uh, you can't you can't do it with the national team why because you'd always be compared to maradona so it is a double edged sword in my opinion uh, i think it's it does more good than bad and especially we see it now with these players when it's going good it's great when it's not going good it's the worst thing in the world because you feel the pressure you feel the pressure as i mentioned a couple of moments ago from the media as well and it's it's really a double edged sword but you know going back to the shirt and everything and and now like you said you mentioned as well like the the purple shirt right it's it's a massive surprise for for everybody but you know they they tried explaining it in terms of purple being gender you know more equality and the flames being the flames from from the sun the, the on uh, on the argentine flag or from the argentine flag so they tried to present it that way but there's nothing like that sky blue and white there truly isn't just especially if you watch a game from the monumental or or la bombonera or anywhere in argentina and you see that confetti that blue and white confetti and the players entering the pitch and and the the tape and it's it's a whole different feeling altogether it's a whole different feeling I always think of like Mario Kempes in the bloody sock and he socks down around his ankles with the shin pad, you know, like the the bloody shin, sorry. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, like that 93, so I think it was 93 when they came out. Yes. Um, yeah, and it was a night game as well. So you had the, the bright lights down. Obviously Australia had like a really bright yellow kid at the time with three sort of green stripes across the chest, diagonally going across the chest. And then you had that Argentina kit. And at the time they wore the black shorts as well, which right. made it even more menacing. But like that side, um, you had Goikachea Goyke, was in goal, um, Jorge Berelli, um, yeah. is it Shamot? I think it's Shamot. I can't Yeah, yeah, Shemot Jose, Jose Shamot. Yeah. Shamot, yeah. Um, Carlos McAllister was there. Uh, Redondo played. Um, uh, Maradona was playing. Balbo was there. And Batistuta was up front. Yeah, and they held them to a one-all draw here. But then obviously in the second leg, they lost... Uh, Simeone came into the team, I remember, but they lost one nil away. Um, that was that was one where we thought, oh, Australia's in with a chance here, and then you get drawn against Argentina, and then Maradona comes out of retirement, and you think, oh, you yeah, know, this is not going to happen. <laughs> it's the the odds were stacked. Yeah, that's right. the odds were stacked against you. But uh, I mean, was it the same? Was it the same in in two thousand seven when Messi was there and Argentina played in in Australia? Did you get the same uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's that. There's a um, iconic photo of Messi playing against the Socceroos, and it's there's probably six or seven players all surrounding him. It very much <laughs> looks like the you know that Maradona photo where the, against Belgium versus Belgium. Yeah. Oh, is it Belgium? Yeah, yeah. But that yeah, photo, Belgium. that photo, I think was the. Didn't they just take a free kick and the ball struck the wall? Was that right? Yeah, they, so. they yeah, they did. It was it was a free kick. It wasn't literally the six or five or six players in front of Maradona. It was like you said, a free kick was taken. Everyone was kind of regrouping. Maradona had the ball, and that's when the picture was snapped. Mm, yeah, yeah. But, but we don't talk about that. Yeah, don't talk about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, the one, <laughs> the one. It's funny because the one for Messi against Australia. I think there's five Australians, and they're sort of all surrounding him. And then I'm pretty sure there was one um, with Messi when he's playing South Korea as well, and it's similar. There is yes, and, and in 2010, about three or four of them, you know, just surrounding him, and it's taken from the angle. It just looks really, really good as well. Yeah. Um, so the World Cup obviously is coming up, you know, in a, in a few months' time. Um, the rivalry that Argentina has with certain countries, I'm not sure why they tend to. I, I really am looking forward to Argentina, Mexico for this next World Cup. I just 
think it's one of the, one of those games that's like when I went through the fixture list, I was like, that's a must watch. But um, when you talk about rivalries, the rivalry between like Argentina and Italy, um, why do you think it's so strong? Obviously, that with the, there's had some epic battles across the across the years and the last World Cups yeah. and got Italian ninety. Um, but what is it about the two countries that sort of brings the best out of each other? I I think it dates back about a century ago, really. I mean, maybe even a bit more, well, more than that in terms of, you know, the Italian or the Argentines from Italian descent. Mm. But if you go through... Playing for Italy as well. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, If you go through, I think it was the 19... Was it in the 40s where Italy won a World Cup? Uh, 38, sorry, 38. Yeah, there was none because of the... Yes, because of the Second World War, there were no World Cups, right? The One of the teams, it was practically all Argentine players in that Italian team that won the World Cup. It really was. So I think it kind of dates back a little bit to that. And then you have, going back, that Maradona connection versus Nap- with Napoli and Italia 90 and the national anthem getting booed in every single match, except for... Except for one match, and I'll, I'll I'll let your listeners, I'll let the listeners decide or guess where that match was, uh, the one where Argentina not get booed, and I think it's always kind of been a healthy uh, rivalry. I don't think it's ever been anything malicious, but that ninety that nineteen ninety tournament, uh, the fact that it was in Italy, and I think Italy had not even let in a single goal at the time when up until Kenija scored and then Kenija scored that header and then you go to penalties and you have the drama of penalties and the drama of Maradona and I think that's where everything kind of reached a boiling point or at least the climax of that rivalry and and since then it's two solid national teams I mean Italy four world cups recent Euro uh, Euro champions forget the fact yes you know they're not at the world cup but still a very very strong team and rebuilding and there's always that sense of we're superior than you. Like Argentinians will say, no, but we're superior than you guys. We, no, forget about it. We play the better football. You know, we, our best players play in Italy. And I, th- I think it's always been a bit of that. Uh, and throw in Maradona and, and forget about it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all there. It's, it's a recipe for, for a great match. And I was heartbroken for several different reasons obviously but in 2006 I absolutely wanted an Argentina Italy semi-final at that World Cup and was just heartbroken because the talent from both teams would have been off the charts but it is what it is and Argentina got cheated in Berlin but what are you going to do? We'll talk about that another time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Excuse me. Do you think that um, Maradona would have been a, a different type of player, whether it would have been, you know, for better or worse, I guess that he, if he had a different upbringing, if he was brought up in Europe or if, you know, similar, not similar, so much similar to Messi, but if he he was raised in a different country or he he left Argentina earlier or, or do you think that's just, that's who he was and that's what he was always going to be regardless of where he ended up? I, I think to a certain degree, regardless of where he would have been brought up, you still would have had that character, that chip on your shoulder, that, that Maradona, right? What made Maradona Maradona? I think you still would have gotten that. However, you know, growing up in in poverty, not having the greatest upbringing, uh, playing for Boca Juniors, making his debut at such a young age, and then you get that big money move over to Barcelona, and that's where he was, you know, introduced to to, to his demons, let's say, to the drugs and everything. And I think all of that, you don't get 
the Maradona that we got if he doesn't go through those struggles. And it was a match made in heaven. I mean, him joining Napoli, uh, the the way Napoli was or is perceived in Italy in terms of you know the league and football, not one of the glamour teams in Italy, not one of the top teams. And then you get this Maradona joining from Barcelona and going on to winning the league and the UEFA Cup. And you're like, it's what made Maradona Maradona. And had he maybe grown up in Europe, played for Madrid or grew up in, in Madrid or Barcelona or elsewhere, the talent would have still been there a thousand percent. I don't doubt that. And the character would have been there. But would it have been at the same level? I mean, I guess we'll never know in that sense. But the, the character would have been there, absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny too because you had that um, uh, magic, the Magica front line with uh, Giordano and Careca. And he had such a great connection with Careca. And you think that yeah. Brazil and Argentina, they had such a rivalry, but him and Careca just hit it off, like, you know, both on the field and off the field. And they were two completely, from what, what I've read, they were like two completely different characters as well. It was almost, um, you know, like the, the, I guess, fire and ice. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was, it was. And we've had a, a lot of people think of, you know, Argentina, Brazil and that rivalry. And that rivalry does exist, but it really exists only on the pitch. I mean, off the pitch, it's it's friendly rivalries. It's, it's banter. You call it whatever you want to call it. But there's never been you know, a war between the two countries. There's never been any anything serious. For example, if you look at Messi and Dani Alves at Barcelona, his his best friend was Dani Alves. His best friend was Ronaldinho. Uh, he was close friends with Deco. Deco, Brazilian-born, played for Portugal. Uh, Neymar, right after the Copa America final, where Argentina defeated Italy, you have pictures of Neymar, Messi, and uh, Leandro Paredes. They're all laughing and hugging each other after the final. So Argentinians and Brazilians, in my opinion, understand football similarly play a similar style they love to have the ball uh and they're very talented at it and and i truly think argentinians and brazilians i'll throw in uruguayans as well maybe as a third but argentinians and brazilians are the two most just the two most talented nations uh when it comes to the sport and they understand each other right similar cultures as well uh language not totally the same you know portugal uh, portuguese and, and spanish but they'll understand each other no matter what yeah so even if if there is that rivalry on the pitch, whenever you put them together, I think they they tend to become close friends. And you talked about just Messi there, you know, with Neymar and Co. I always say that uh, Higuain has cost Messi the chance to be the greatest player of all time with, with his couple of misses in the final, and you know, just his his leg was just a little bit longer. Messi would already be considered the greatest of all time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's, you had um, to go there. We we, yeah. we were having such a pleasant conversation, and you, yeah. <laughs> and you had to. Go. It's um, yeah, like it. We'll we'll see we'll see how it all pans out. But um, for for like like you said before, you know, there seems to be a, a new wave and a new generation, and this Argentinian side seems to have shaken the demons, I guess. But yeah, for, for Messi, you you said before you don't look at it, you know, Messi versus Maradona. They're two completely different players in two completely different eras. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to compare. Um, that that's it's just you, you can't do it. Um, but what would it mean for his career and for the national team and for Argentina if I won't say if or whether I jinx it or not, but if they were to win in Qatar? Because it because it seems to be perfectly lined up. You know, the players are fresh. Um, they're not playing at the end of the season. Argentina always seems to have one or two players that are riddled with injury or aren't quite fit. 
um, it's it's timed it's timed very well this World Cup, despite all the off-field stuff, which we won't even get into because we'll be here for hours and days on end. Just in terms of what actually happens on the field, I think it's actually going to be a. I think it's going to surprise people and it's going to be a really good World Cup. But yeah, what yeah, will it do? If, for, what could it do? And what will it do for his legacy if they did well? I want to say everything, but at the same time, I, I would not define be it Messi or anyone else. I would not define a player based off you know, a, a potential seven-match tournament and one trophy. But it would absolutely mean everything. Um, in terms of the, you know, those that doubt him, the doubters, there's nothing you could say. I don't care if Argentina wins the World Cup, having scored only own goals the entire tournament. I would like to see dodgy, <laughs> With dodgy officiating, with, I don't care. It would mean, it would absolutely mean uh, everything because, I mean, for the doubters, obviously, that, that's, a, that's a big issue. That's a big thing. But for Messi itself, having come so close, having, we're not even going to get into the off the pitch, but everything he's done for the team and for the federation off the pitch is, that's immense as well. And having come so close, you're talking about losing a 2007 Copa America final, 2015, 16 final, 2014. Ideally, I would, I mean, don't get me wrong, 2022, if he wins it, I'll, I could enjoy football for the rest of my life. Argentina could never qualify for another World Cup and I would never care. But the, the best case was 2014 for Argentina. A, a stack team top to bottom in Brazil. I mean, Argentina winning a World Cup in Brazil, it's no, it's, it's, it doesn't get any better than that. But uh, what would it mean to win it in Qatar? It would mean a lot, especially when you when you look at the talent that's there this year. And I'm not just talking about Argentina, but uh, everywhere else. Uh, Brazil is stacked. Germany is rebuilding. Spain is absolutely stacked. Uh, France is another one. Whereas I think if you took this Argentina team and you drop them in 2018, I think they walked that tournament because I don't think 2018 had anywhere near the same talent as 2002 does throughout the entire tournament, throughout every team. This time around, it's much more difficult. Much, much more difficult. So what would it mean for Messi, his legacy? Everything. Would it change something if he doesn't win it? No. Would it change something if he does? Yes. It, it, for me, it would just solidify, not for myself, but probably for everyone else in terms of, hey, there's absolutely nothing you can say about him. Mm. Zero. Yeah. And everyone always said he can't do it with a national team. He can't even win a tournament with a national team. Well, he won Copa America. He won it defeating Brazil in Brazil. And then it became, oh, but he can't win a World Cup. So they'll think of something if Argentina won the World Cup. They'll think of something, but yeah. I think it would mean everything. So if you had to pick um, one Argentinian oh. national side, to, okay. you could drop them into this World Cup, as you said before, of any era. Um, who, who, what's your favorite team or what's your favorite side and, and why? I think the most talented team was 1994, top to bottom. I, I don't think any team touches that. 2002 was an extremely talented team, but by the time the World Cup came around, the locker room was divided, uh, Veron and Sorin, and you had the injuries, and you had uh, Marcelo Bielsa's stubbornness of, as much as I adore, absolutely adore and worship Batistuta, Crespo should have started that tournament for Argentina. Uh, 2006 was probably the most balanced 
team I have ever seen for Argentina. Just unlucky. Uh, unlucky with the referees, unlucky with the team, unlucky just with the substitution, uh, Peckerman. If I had to answer your, your, your question, I would say take that 94 team, drop them in here now. If not 94, drop 2006. Mm. Those would be my, my two teams. It's, yeah, yeah. And because uh, what, what was it about 94? It was just once Maradona left, the whole all the air came out of the balloon, didn't it? it they started it. so strong and they were scoring freely and keeping clean sheets, and and the whole thing just flipped, was, flipped on its head. It was, yeah, they, they had won the 1991 Copa America, they won the 93 Copa America, they had won Confederations Cup. Maradona was back, they went through the struggles of qualifying, and then Maradona was just in. I don't want to say the best shape he's ever been in, but he was, it was certainly up there. If you look at how he was and the team, you had a very, very young Batistuta. You had a very young Fernando Redondo. You had a Diego Simeone. And then you throw in a Maradona in there and, and Balbo. And they were dominating. They were dominating. And I remember reading a, a, a quote from Maradona afterwards, throughout the tournament, when once he got kicked out type of thing. And he said, once we were out... Brazil we're, we're just going to win it. it almost as if he knew like that's it we were the only team capable of of beating Brazil even though Italy took them literally to the limits on penalties but like you said it was letting that air out of the balloon you lose by losing Maradona in 94 you have to take into consideration who Maradona is and what he represents he wasn't just the captain like oh we lost our captain for the tournament that would be a huge blow for any team but you're losing your captain. You're losing the emblem of that national team for over a decade. You're losing the best player in the world. And you're losing him in the middle of the tournament, right before the knockout stages start. So, yet despite that, despite that, they came close against Romania. And that was a pretty good Romania team as well. So, you let that, you know, when you take all of that into consideration, it's, it's a shame what happened. But, I mean, I guess looking back, is it a surprise that once Maradona was kicked out of the World Cup that they would have lost it? No, considering what he represents. Yeah. And it's all thanks to Australia, see? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, that's the, yeah, no. that's the you know, that's the, the good with the bad, that's the black with the white, that's the, the hero and the villain part of the story. With, without any of that, Maradona wouldn't be as, as revered or as loved as he you know, I love him just as much. And I think he's the greatest player of all time. But I love him just as much for all of his faults, you know, that you read about and you hear about than what he did on the field. Yeah, I I think I, whenever I look at players, and I know it's not easy, especially in this day and age, so I don't want anyone to, to really misunderstand me. Maradona, the human being, was not the same as Maradona, the player. And I think when looking at a player, you just have to look at what they do on the pitch. In my opinion, if ever you want to judge a player, you're judging the player, not the person. Maradona, the person, like I said, very different. If you, like you just said, if you tell me you think Maradona is the best player to have ever played, I agree with that. I have no problems. If someone tells me Messi is the best player, I have no problems. So I'm not, I don't like it when, even though I understand, but I don't like when people say, oh, but Maradona can't be the best player in the world. Uh, he played when he was on cocaine and he wasn't, the, you know, he wasn't the greatest person. Well, number one, if... I've never done heavy drugs, but I've seen people that have, and I, I've read stories, but apparently if you do cocaine, it's not very easy to play or run. That's number one. 
and well, his ankles, and his knees, you know, the recovery, everything, the, injury, the, the recovery, the rehabilitation, the drug right, programs, the drinking, the the sleeping habits. Like, you imagine what he would have been like nowadays. Just different exactly. level. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if you had the trainers that the players these days have. Imagine if you had the protection from the referees that the players these days have. Imagine if you played using the pitches that they use, using the balls, using the boots, using. And imagine, like you said, if he was clean, if he was fully a thousand percent committed to the to the sport. Not that he wasn't, but he would have gotten a completely different animal, mm. a completely different animal. And 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 I know people say Pele and this and that and. For me, you can't compare. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm biased, but he was just a more complete player for me. That's why I wanted Messi so badly to go to Napoli once he left Barcelona. I, just, <laughs> I, I thought, just go, experience it, see what it was like, you know, single-handedly yeah. drag a team up from, you know, the the third or fourth position, take them over that yeah. the edge. But PSG it was, yeah. All right, Roy, I should, I should let you go. Otherwise, we'll, we'll keep talking for a, a lot longer and then we'll start talking about the Montreal Expos. But we'll, we'll ha- we'll, I'll get you back on to, to discuss Vlad Guerrero and Jose Vidro another day. All right. No problem. You know your history. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, Roy. Uh, just for those that yeah, don't know, where, where can we find you on social media and, and the website, et cetera? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on uh, social media at uh, Roy Nemer, uh, R-O-Y-N-E-M-E-R. Uh, Website is mundoalbiceleste.com. Uh, loosely translates into, well, albiceleste is the nickname for the national team, the sky blue and white, and mundo being world. So sort of like Argentina world, Argentina worldwide type of thing. So mundoalbiceleste.com. Uh, and all the information is all in English. So you're not going to get anything in Spanish. It's all in English. It's all there. And uh, and of course, your YouTube channel as well. Your, of course, yes. And, and on documentary, YouTube. mini documentaries, yeah, rivaling ESPN We're, for 30 for 30 series. <laughs> I, I hope I just need I need the budget. We're a little bit different on, <laughs> on budget there. That's the only thing I would need. But yeah, so for those that haven't well. seen it, Roy has a YouTube channel or Albi Celeste has the, the YouTube channel. Yeah. And it's um, the, the, the last documentary you posted or prior to the one about the, the national team shirts was about the, yeah. the history of the under twenties team. Um, so yeah, definitely worthwhile your time. And it's, it's an excellent informative, entertaining um, sit down and watch if, for those that, that want to check it out. Thank you, Frank. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the kind of words. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I know you, you said you, you watched, uh, you watched, you watched some of it. So uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate having me on uh, anytime. It's an absolute pleasure. This was, this was great. Yeah, Thanks. No worries. Take care, Roy. Thanks again. Well, that was a great conversation with Roy Nima of mundoalbaceleste.com. I hope you enjoyed it. It was nice to just get a different perspective on some Argentinian players and Argentinian football of the, the past and the present, I guess. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast where you can. Every little bit helps. Uh, take care. Enjoy your culture. <laughs>